Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield. And this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 89 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. I hope everyone is safe and well out there. Firstly, I've got to say thank you so much for all the love I got for last week's episode, which featured Richard Wilson. I mean, he's one of the country's finest sculptors and he really has got a way of sort of drawing you into the workings of his mind, which sort of, in a roundabout way, leads me on to this week's guest, Ben Tallon. I've known Ben for a couple of years. He was friends with Ray Richardson and had a studio in the same block in Woolwich. I'd been listening to podcasts for about six months when Ray told me that he was going to feature on one called Arrest All Mimics. And although Ben was a well-known illustrator and most of his guests were from the illustration world, he often spoke to people from any creative background. And although I'd been interviewed a few times on radio and TV... Arrest All Mimics was the first podcast that I was featured on, and it was as a result that I started this podcast. (laughs) So he's the one to blame. Let me tell you a little something about Ben Tallon. Ben Tallon is an illustrator, hand-painting lettering specialist, author, and host of, as I just mentioned, Arrest All Mimics podcast. He has developed a unique, organic, and energetic brand of image making with many clients including Channel 4, The Guardian, WWE, Penguin Books, The Premier League and UNICEF among many others. His style is highly diverse and works across many disciplines for print, digital, animated, live, set design and large scale media. Ben's passion for the creative industry and forward thinking led to him having his debut book Champagne and Wax Crayons. This month, October 2020, Ben is releasing another book called Your Mum, a rancid collection of short stories, moments and embarrassments from Britain's cultural underbelly. He invites you to take a naughty peek through the two-way mirror 
into all things dubious and dirty at the arse end of British life. He's a great guy, he's Ben, so come and find that out for yourself. This is episode 89, recorded over Zoom. I have seven questions that I ask each artist. Yeah. The first being, how would you explain what you do to someone that didn't know your work? It's a good one. I um, I make images, essentially. I make images and... Now I write, I also write stories um, for a range of media. So, you know, advertising, um, editorial stuff, self-initiated work, sport. It's quite broad on the illustration front. But yeah, essentially make images, make artwork for visual communication. Um, and I write stories for my own books and for one-off pieces. And I also write, you know, the odd opinion piece in the arts and things like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I also run a podcast. <laughs> just give a, a, a quick shout for your podcast. We'll mention it again nearer the end. Yeah, it was called Arrest All Mimics, which I still to this day think I got too clever with the title. But there we are. It's, it's established, so I can't really change it now. <laughs> well, it was the first one that I guested on. I've been on a couple of radio shows before that. Um, and I presumed, wrongly, that a podcast would be the same setup as a um as a radio show, and when I appeared on yours, you did make it look rather easy. Gave me the idea to, to start this one. That's exactly how, how this one started, was through guesting on yours, which was episode 99 after hearing Ray Richardson, who was a, a dozen or so before that. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was brilliant. I mean, I lo- I've loved everyone in different ways. And it's just like you said, I, I was the same thing. I listened to a number of sports and arts podcasts and i hadn't hadn't ever occurred to me until the guy who runs my illustration agency suggested it said, you love talking about this stuff and you know it, it, would it be such a leap to learn how to put a microphone in front of you and edit i think you'd be good for doing a podcast yeah and then suddenly all these ideas from the ones that i've been listening to came in and you know one thing led to another and just got stuck in really so you know it's still very rough around the edges to this day but i just find it a really great excuse to talk to interesting people and learn a lot of things that's exactly exactly the reason when was your first interest in art well i I guess like a lot of kids i drew from an early age um and i drew wrestlers and footballers primarily and that was you know pretty much stopped 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 and started there but I was fortunate enough to have a mum who'd done art at college so you know she never pressured me but it was always encouraged my creative side was always encouraged by her and grandparents and my dad and everyone really I got a creative uncle as well who written comedy for people like Bob Mortimer and all sorts so it was always around me but no one ever put pressure on but no one ever just you know no one dissuaded it either so I had that lovely balance I didn't um I didn't get that rebellious teenage streak and think, no, I don't want to draw because no one was yeah, pressuring yeah. me. So that was nice. I just kind of drifted my way through. But yeah, from the age of four or five, I've just drawn whatever I was interested in, really. Yeah. Um, but I guess like a lot of people, not until mid-teens, 14, 15, did I start to get an inclination that there could be a living to be made from it. You know, yeah. and like, like most people didn't really have a clue what that might look like. And was it always illustration you wanted to go down? No, I had no, I had no idea what any of it meant. To be honest, I was lucky enough to, I kind of got my hackles up when it came to work experience, and I didn't want to do, you know, the jobs that were on offer. Nothing interested me, and I've always struggled to get motivated with anything I'm not passionate about. And at school, you think that's because I'm lazy or I'm not good at it, and you don't, you know, you don't think about character. Um, and then luckily, one of the tech tech tutors actually at school. It was the woodwork 
uh, design and technology tutor. I, I went to him because he was one of the more free spirit tutors. And I just, yeah. sort of, you know, he asked me how I was getting on. And I said, I haven't found anything. I haven't really looked for that much. And he said, well, what do you like to do? And he was the first person to ask me a very important question. And I said, um, well, I like drawing, you know, like, and he said, right, okay, leave it with me. And he got me and three other kids into a two-week work placement at the local art college. Just sat us in the corner of a studio, let us roam around, you know, checked in on us every once in a while. And they got us in like a life drawing workshop and things. And that was the first time that I thought, I love everything about this place that's going on yeah. here. Everyone's wearing their own clothes. You know, people can go for a coffee or a piss when they want. <laughs> <laughs> and but How and that, easy is that? Is it for a, a um, um, who was it? Wasn't a teacher? You say it was a... It, it, it was a teacher, but he taught the design and technology. So you did the woodwork and, the, you know, various other technology-related subjects at school. So you didn't see a lot of him. He was just tucked away in his studio. But for whatever reason, I felt like he might be the one to ask. Yeah. And, and he made a call to the college and they said, send them down. Yeah. You know, it was a bit easier back then in terms of there wasn't 25 forms to be filled out. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Health and safety loops to jump through. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, how good is that, that someone just sort of listens to what you're saying and points you in the direction that, that they feel you should go in? Best bit yeah. of um, bit of guidance you, you could have, I suppose. It really is really a really fundamental, simple question that a lot of people to this day forget to ask themselves, ask others, but what do you like to do? It's simple, you know, it, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Yeah. What, what gives you pleasure as a pastime, you know? And, and what course did you do when you left school at college? So I, st I stayed on an extra year at school because I, I, very, I was very deluded and thought I could play for Leeds United until the age of 16. <laughs> I, I studied sport and I was dismal. I wasn't dismal. I was less than average. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and I realized, you know, the reality kicked in in my last year at school. And I thought, in your head, you were Pele. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tony Yaboa, actually. But yeah. <laughs> so I started... Um, so I started thinking, well, like, there's not a lot else I like, but I still love drawing, so I'd better look into that. So I stayed on one year to get out GCSE and basically sat in the corner of that year below me to get, you know, to get that until I could go to college. Luckily for me, during that time on the work placement, they'd said, look, you know, you've got a good drawing and we like your attitude. If you do want to come down here, give us a shout. We're sure you'll be fine to get a place on the course. Yeah. And that's what I did. So I started a year late, 17, and I did a BTEC National Diploma in Graphic Design, which was essentially a foundation course. We did everything. Yeah. And did you did you go on from there? Yeah, I went on. I did a year at... I succeed by say by this point I, I knew more what I like to do but I still didn't know what any of it was I still didn't know the difference between yeah. fine art and illustration and yeah. graphic design but graphic design seemed to encapsulate a lot of the things that I liked so I went and started with the, I did the first year at Bradford College uh, of a degree in graphic media communications and that was good because it was there was a module of there was four pathways basically I think it was audio visual illustration graphic design and I can't remember the other one. Anyway, it was good. It was a mixed bag. And but by the end of that, I, I realized that maybe I should be moving away from home to try and get a bit of independence. And they got a sense of that. And they basically said, look, you try and draw everything, even the, the hard typography modules, you're drawing yeah. the type, you know, we can't get it out of you. Go and do the go and do illustration. Um, and they pointed me in the direction of Preston, which turned out to be the right one for me. So I went on and studied illustration at degree level. And when did you finish that? 2006. And did you step straight into illustration work from I there? I didn't. I did two. I had. It was two years before I went full time, or at least had a good crack at going full time. And I, um, I had a very tough six months in respect of motivation. 
I, you know, I found the cutoff of seven years of education and design very tough because suddenly you don't have the studio space. You don't have all the people knocking around to bounce ideas off. Yeah. Tutors are not there to ask questions. And suddenly I was in my bedroom working full time at Waterstones and I had a B&Q, like a B&Q garden table. And that was that was as close as I got to a studio space. Yeah, yeah. So it was very hard. You know, I didn't know really what to do with it anymore from there. So that first six months, I just worked full time, went to the pub a lot after work and you know, I was doing bits. I probably did about six pieces off my own back, but they weren't really anywhere near where I wanted to go. And then a friend who'd done a furniture design course, he wanted a, quite a big workshop and he found this knackered old, it was a former stable in Preston on the outside of, of a park. And it was dead cheap. It was fr- absolutely freezing. You had to wear about seven jumpers and halogen <laughs> heaters on. But, <laughs> but at that point we were a bit more hardy and it, and it was incredibly exciting. And there yeah. were five of us that took that place on. And I think it was 40 quid a month, you know, so it was nuts and bolts level. But yeah. it, it really did restoke the excitement and made me want to actually make some sense of what I'd spent all this time doing. So no, there was a two year gap, but I actually placed a lot of value on that time, you know, because... I worked in countless temping jobs after Waterstones and met all these characters and got lots of different, both ideas, but more importantly, a sense of what I really didn't want to be doing with my life, yeah. you know? And that motivation of working in all them full-time jobs really did put the fire under me to, to make use of my skills, you know, and really get a portfolio together and start promoting as an illustrator. And did you always want to work for yourself rather than a company? Yeah, I didn't have much of a sense of what a company would, would look like because... I'd done this illustration degree I was very aware from an early stage on that course that it was freelance there was very little roles and even if you had a role you were within it under someone else's banner and you would be steered in the direction and I just didn't like the idea of that you know so I knew that it was going to be cut for freelancing for me and starting out in newspapers and magazines so at least I had that much to go at I always knew that at some point I'd have to start start trying to knock on a few doors in magazines and newspapers so that's, yeah, eventually when we got this space, it was like, okay, let's get a portfolio together now and some postcards and start sending them out. Nice. And did you find any frustration when you you tried looking for work after you'd built your portfolio up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, massively. I guess I'd, I'd be surprised if there's many people who don't, but it was, it was, it was very much maybe five replies per hundred emails. And of those five, you'd probably get four that said, you're on file we'll give you a shout if anything yeah. comes up which which is exciting for about 10 minutes and then you think oh no i've been brushed off like everyone else yeah. um and then you get the one that actually took the time to have a, you know maybe make a phone call and chat to me about my work or my ideas and you got a sense they they were a bit more interested but there was a lot of that it took about oh how long did it take it took a while to get the first job maybe about six six weeks or so before i got my first commission and that was by this point, I'd quit my job at Preston City Council, where I was a recycling officer. Um, it was the best temping job that I got. I made a lot of good friends in that job. But I saved up essentially enough money to live off for three months. And that's what I did. So it was, you know, there was a bit of pressure, but not as much pressure. And I'd just gone into it without any savings. And it was just a lot of that, a lot of emails, cold phone calls, which I hated doing, but I felt they got a certain degree of response. Um and that was it. And it, eventually it was my love of football that, that, you know, opened the door a little bit. It was when yeah. Saturday comes that I gave me my first commission, which is like half fanzine, half monthly magazine. And they liked the rough around the edges feel of my artwork at that point. Yeah. And they, they especially liked the fact I was a big fan and would they wouldn't need to spend the time educating me on the game. You know, I, I they knew I was up to date on the topics. And what I used to do is look what was the big story that week. And I would actually draft up a sample and kind of crudely paste it into context in their magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
send it to the art director and I think he liked the fact that I was really a bit bullish about wanting to yeah. work for them you know and, and similar that. to what they used to do in the newspapers sort of like yeah. satirical um shout on the day like Gerald Scarf for instance that sort of that yeah. sort of thing yeah, yeah very much so yes I mean in terms of Scarf and Ralph Steadman they often get flagged up as you know they've both got the same same aesthetic that my work has in terms of it's got that human hand it's got splashing yeah. got mistakes in it you know, and, and for a time in my first year at uni, I did, I, I practically tried to be Ralph Steadman <laughs> and um, eventually realised what we all realised that you've got to find your own way and and kind of took what, you know, and I, I started, by that point, I started to realise that it was the aesthetic and it was the energy that I liked, but it yeah. didn't need to look like his stuff to, you know, I could do it my own way. So that's, but they were, those two were very much, you know, influences along the way. Well, you've, you've mentioned there a couple of influences if there was you other you and five other illustrators past and present who would your, your five guests ideally be in terms of podcast or spending time with or both either um well well we're at Ralph Steadman without a doubt is one he's in there um I'd have to say Quentin Blake just because I've got such a love for those Roald Dahl books and again the irreverence in his in his style um who else springs to mind Mm. I, I really like um there's an illustrator called lucinda rogers and she's still very active now but she was she had a fantastic she she draws live on location and she used to do a lot of regular stuff for the guardian so i was well aware of her work at university and that really spoke to me as with someone who had this messy loose style um but the energy in her work is fantastic in the way she she captures a place um i mean my, my you know, my interests are quite broad, so I look kind of around illustrations. I would I would name Ray, you know, Ray Richardson, mutual friend oh. of ours. I'm constantly in awe of his work because it's just it's not because I know the guy. It's it's just that I always describe it as being incredibly cinematic. It's you know his, his images have such a a punch to them and feel like I always said to him, I feel like if you could climb into that image, you'd be right there Definitely. in a film in, in a noir film or something. Yeah. <laughs> So Ray, I mean, Ray is fantastic. And I often point people in, in the direction of his work when it's someone who has any semblance of that cinematic feel about theirs. I would yeah. say go and, go and study Ray's compositions because they're incredible. So well, there's not Ray. many artists, Ben, who are, um, who when you look at their work, you're interested what's around the corner or off canvas. You know, you're as interested in what's going on around the corner as you are of what's going on on his canvas. It's completely that, isn't it? Yeah, you wonder, you know, these moody characters that are in there. I want to know what that what's happening in that bigger picture and what, you know, what's got that going on that moment. And it is, it's it is, it's like you've paused a much bigger moment. That's that's what his work feels like, which is incredible. Um who else? Who else? Um Tom Gold, you know, Tom Tom Gold is a he does comics, but the, the humour in his work, he, he did a talk for us in our third year at uni. And I remember finding that quite an important turning point in, in terms of actually speaking to someone who was big in our industry at that moment. And he had a lot of time for the questions, I, you know, many questions I threw at him. Um, but he does his own, he does his, he did he used to do his own press of little graphic novels, limited run, and he'd sell them in independent bookshops like Magma oh, yes. in Manchester. Um, and I just, I loved that he, you know, he was doing exactly his humour and his characters and he, he found a way to monetize that. And he does really well for himself now. He does comics for the New Yorker and the Guardian and all sorts, but he's still doing his own books and his own zines. And yeah. as someone who started writing and going down an indie publishing route, it's, it's 
kind of roared right back into into focus now as Tom's work and how he how he used that model, you know, to to forge his own path. So, yeah, I think that's five. Well, when yeah, we I would, I would when we first met, you also had just brought out a book, Champagne and Wax Crayons. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that was the that was the debut. So that was that was a traditional publishing deal. So I I, I did that with Lid, which is a boutique business publisher in London. And it, it, like most things that I do, they, it was very accidental. So I I basically started ranting on a blog about the frustrations of freelancing. It was two years into being full-time and I hit like an eight-week dry patch and got really frustrated. And, you know, I was annoyed that everyone was showing off these lovely studio shots on Instagram, but nobody was... <laughs> you know, just no A little one, bit of envy gets you going. Yeah, and not, you know... In fairness, nobody's going to be posting pictures of themselves sat there in their underpants at, you know, 10 in the morning, are they? But... Right. That was what I felt. I felt like there was this underbelly that no one was talking about and this frustration. So I just kind of did it for me, really, to vent. But what I found was a small handful of people loved it and got in touch and said, I really resonate with this honesty and I'm going through all the same things in a different part of the country or whatever it might be. So I just kept doing it. And then kindly somebody got back to me and said, you've got a strong editorial style. I don't know if you know, you know, but I'm from that background and you do have a good writing style. And I had no idea because I hadn't written since GCSE, yeah. really. But I've always been a keen reader and I've always loved storytelling in its many forms. So I just kept going off that confidence boost. And, you know, the audience didn't get massive, but it was big enough to, to keep me going each time I made a yeah. post. And yeah. as luck would have it, um, my now wife, Laura, was working at that publisher. And um, the editor there was a mutual friend of ours and he asked to have a look at it and they offered me a deal and you know it had its ups and downs but it got out you know so he got a deal in japan which was amazing it got translated in this by the tokyo publisher and the feedback in the industry is incredible it's been 100 percent positive which has been the you know amazing really as someone who started out ranting but yeah it was great and actually that, that book was what got me talking at unis and doing little opinion pieces and all that snowballed into the podcast which has opened loads of doors so yeah that, that was a bit of a career shift really it kind of changed it switched from a, a goal-driven thing where I, I wanted to work for this mag and that mag and that client and, uh, and win that award and and after that I, I thought no I'm, I'm just in love with doing whatever it is that that's getting me going at any given yeah. point creatively and I've and I've done that and trusted my instincts ever since and it's you know I've enjoyed the path it's taken me on and then recently you've just brought out another book yes yeah so what happened was i you know i, I did that and continued to love writing and i wrote opinion pieces for design week and uh, create a review and a, and a few other people and always loved that but under underlying was always this notion that i might have it in me to write fiction but i wasn't sure and i still i did, still didn't have the confidence to jump off and do that um but eventually i did i think it got to about 2019 and this was well into um the time when I knew I was going to be a dad and I'd started to try my hand and, and again got good feedback from the few people that had looked at these things and I just loved it and I, I like you know whether I was technically up to it yet is one question but I knew for sure that my ideas were different just by being an absolute weirdo yeah. <laughs> and that these characters I was creating had some legs and so I just started to do it and my idea was if I can get 30 odd stories in the bank by the time of my dad I won't feel bad about not writing them because I've got yeah, them there yeah. So that's what I did. And um, so so what happened then what happened was during lockdown, I start I created an Instagram account called Stories for the Apocalypse, just for my writing, basically, because I wanted a space where I wasn't overly precious, where I could just do a quick illustration, share a chunk of a story and get it out there in the world. Because 
by this point with the podcast and champagne, I knew that just putting something you're passionate about out into the world brings many rewards. So I just wanted to do that in a way where I wasn't sitting on it like every other artist and, you know, guarding it. Um, so I started keeping a daily diary and it was fictitious diary of what was going on in suburbia during lockdown. So it was kind of a behind the curtains, you know, this couple have spent 20 years avoiding each other and suddenly they're under the same roof and wanted to tear each other's throat out. And that was, <laughs> it was a very black comedy kind of, but also a poignant look at how people were either coping or not coping with this unprecedented event. And it was very short, very snappy, about 20,000 words, but it, it was a diary format book. And I basically just chucked that out there as an ebook, as an experiment to try and learn the platforms and, and yeah. see what the market was like. And then the other book that you're referring to, so the one I'm really getting behind at the minute, is it's called Your Mum. So it's like, it's a, it's a collection of very down and dirty stories. Um, they range from, you know, just basic. So basically they're all built around items that we see in the streets in yeah. Britain things that characterize our streets for better or worse you know i'm not there's no judgment in this book it's just depictions of these things so a mattress uh, a knackered hubcap off a car cigarette butts a glove on a fence you know yeah, a chained up bike frame exactly that yeah so it's all those anyone who spent any time on our streets will recognize each of these items and that started because a friend of mine um, and i had an ongoing you know, we would just send pictures of these things to each other and go, what's happened there? You know, why is there? <laughs> and a little backstory to it. Exactly. So at the time I was writing these stories without much direction. I thought some of these really fit these items. I wonder if there's more to this project than just a montage of these items. Maybe I could brief myself for a story by each of these things and just think yeah. laterally about it. So that's what I did. And that's what the book is. So it's called Your Mum and Other Stories from the Back Streets of Britain. Excellent. And it, ra it ranges from, you know, there's one story in there just about a kid turning up from the estate when I was when I was playing football on my own and trying to flick a condom at me with a stick. Um, <laughs> that's one story. And then yeah. there's another one that's about quite poignant. And it's just about my experience of like the Manchester homeless community. And so, for example, that story is anchored to the coffee cup. So I... I stumbled upon this tented homeless community which is under the arches in manchester um, and yeah. just off of deansgate if anyone knows it and it's it's kind of trapped in between all these luxurious apartments that are being thrown up at a crazy rate and i just found it really sad and, and you know this guy was using his coffee cups as bits of furniture within his little yeah. tented home and i just found it incredibly sad and that's so, that's so some of the stories are serious but the majority are quite black comedy and just they're just moments. It's a bit of a mood book, really, all built around these things. But yeah. it's an incredibly personal project, and I've had so much fun doing it. So I thought, well, I've got enough connections to do this indie style now and see if I can make that model work nice. and keep a better share of the profits, essentially, because, I, you know, the, to anyone who's done a traditional book model knows that unless you manage to hit like a JK Rowling or a, you know, exactly, or a, yeah. a major success, you're not really going to see all that money and all, all that much money in royalties. And that's not what drives me. But I thought if I'm putting this incredibly personal thing out there that I've worked very hard on, I don't want to see that kind of pound per 13 quid coming back again. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. I want to pay the money up front, commission the designer, the editor, and see if I can make it work and, you know, make enough money to justify it. So that's where I'm at with it. How much is it then? And where can people buy it? It's nine ninety nine basically plus postage, and I've just launched a new website called bentallenwriter.com. and there's also the ebook which is out there on all the platforms, Amazon and Google Books, and there's going to be an audio book thanks to a good friend of mine who works at a music studio and got me some time. So, oh, super! If you want to hear this lovely voice telling you the stories, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how is your mum spelt? 
It's yeah, that's that's a good question. It's actually spelled Y A Mum, um, and it, and that, there was a, quite a bit of conversation between my editor and I about that because he's from Belfast originally. So <laughs> he suggested the title because one of the one of the stories is called Your Mum. And he, he said, how about your, your ma, Y-E-R-M-A? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and then he said, but hang on, you're Northwest, so wouldn't that be your mam? <laughs> yeah, so we went with your mum in the end. Cause we thought yeah, that was... it, it, the local dialect can confuse, can't it? So, yeah, go for something <laughs> everyone knows and you're quite all right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've got a, the, the final question I've got out of, out of my seven is what would you like to be if he wasn't an artist that's a good question you know um play for leads yeah if we're, if, <laughs> if, we're, if we're taking all reality out of it then yeah of course yeah there'd be a leeds rhino or a leeds united player but um but i don't have something with conservation or animals perhaps you know yeah, that comes up maybe, a lot. maybe maybe dog walker you know, there's a local dog walker who has about 16 at any given time, and she absolutely lives it. She puts a calendar out every year with pictures of the dogs she walks and gives it to the people who are her regular clients. It's not uh, a sleigh rider who's lost her sleigh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a short story in that. <laughs> all right, well, Ben, that's all my stories. Uh, all my stories. That's all my questions asked. Brilliant. All the very <laughs> best with your book, man. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, it's been a fun project. So yeah, just have a look on the well. I'm on social on at Ben Talon, one word, and I'm constantly putting out you know little videos with guest readings and sharing some of the stories and whatever else to push it. So yeah, come and find me on there if, it, if that sounds good to anybody. All right, mate. So I'll include all those um, Instagram pages and and websites that I can in the intro and outro of this podcast. Fantastic. And thanks for your time, Gary. It's been good well, to catch very you. Very best, mate. And thank you for the um, allowing me on your podcast, first of all, because I wouldn't be doing this um, if it wasn't for you doing that, I'm sure. Oh, you're most welcome, mate. It was uh, one of my favourite episodes. And, you know, it's nice, to, it's nice to know that they had that knock-on effect, you know, because, uh, again, we all have those kind of accidental people along the way who've triggered an idea or whatever. So it's nice, to, it's nice to be able to do that. Brilliant. Well, thank you for your time, mate. My pleasure. Cheers, Gary. Cheers, Ben. Tell him, mate. Bye-bye. There you have it, Ben Talon. Another person who's just got that tone and manner of speaking that just draws you in. As he said there, his book, Your Mum, can be purchased on his website, which is bentallonwriter.com. And it's only 9 99 There's a few readings being done over on social media by people that come from the area in which the stories are based. There's a great one with Sean Ryder and, of course, Ray Richardson. And changing the subject to talk about my handmade barbed wire dark stars. They're now available in the Ben Oakley Gallery in Greenwich. And tomorrow I'll be talking to the Subversion Gallery in Glasgow. Hopefully they'll be up there by the end of the week. They're just £99 and an addition of 30 And you can go over to my social media to see exactly what they look like. And that is at Mizog Art, M-I-Z-O-G-A-R-T, or Ministry of Arts Org. Well, that's about it. So like I say each week, on whichever platform you listen to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could do that, that really does help us to get noticed and anybody else looking for an art podcast. So, thanks for listening, and until next week, ta-da.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.